Well, good evening, everybody. Great to see you all midweek at Hillcrest tonight. It's Wednesday night. And uh, thank you, Pat Mobley, for that good singing this evening. And uh, always warms our hearts. The first song we sung tonight, I knew very well. I could sing it by heart. The second one, not so much. Y'all know that song, the second one? That's a little less familiar hymn. I was familiar with it. I just, I wouldn't have known the words. But the message was great. Amen. And speaking of our message tonight, we're in Genesis chapter 4. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 4. So be finding the first book of the Bible and the 12th chapter. We are in a series of messages on the life of faith from our good friend Abraham. Really and truly, Genesis is a series of biographical studies, frankly. We began, of course, with Adam and Eve and their progeny. And then we moved to a study of Noah and then to a study of Abraham and then to studies of Jacob and Esau and then finally to a section on uh, Joseph. And so Joseph is uh, a climactic account in Genesis, the most Christ-like character perhaps in the Old Testament. But we learn much about God through his interaction with people who were committed to obey. And so we've just gotten started in this little sub-series of studies uh, in the life of Abraham, who of course is known unilaterally across the scriptures as being a man of faith. I want to especially invite you senior adults tomorrow, if you can and uh, haven't already made a decision, come join us for lunch here tomorrow, beginning at 11 o'clock. Because you're going to kind of get a preliminary preview of our Welcome Initiative campaign. And so we're going to give you a little insider information because you've been around the longest and you deserve it. Can I have an amen? And so uh, be here tomorrow if you can. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a good time together. And you'll be able to take some stuff with you as you go. And so if you're not already planning to be here, make plans to be here because we're going to have a great time in the Lord uh, together. And we surely need to be praying for our church in these important days. This is going to be a great month in the life of our church and a great series of months going forward. Well, the Bible says that the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith is so critically important. I, it may well be the most important singular concept in the Bible because you have to have it to be saved. Where there is no faith, where there is no possession of faith, there is no possession of eternal life. And so we want to talk about faith, not only in the sense of saving faith, but more to the point as we study the life of Abraham, about a life of faith. God expects us to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And you remember what our definition of faith was from last week, if you were here, I hope. Faith is simply this. Faith is trusting confidently what God has said, even though you don't have every detail, which is why faith sometimes is a challenge for people, because we tend to live by sight, not by faith. But the Bible says in the kingdom, that's flipped on its head. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so because it is a life of faith, there's always an element of risk. There's always an element of uncertainty. 
There never is a clear delineation of all of the details. God may give you insight in terms of your life and where He's leading and what He's commanding you to do. He may give you a tidbit here or there, but He's certainly not going to unpack the whole package. He's not obligated to give you any reason. God gives commands and God gives promises, but He rarely gives reasons. And so we have to learn to trust God and what God has said with confidence. Faith is not wishy-washy, but we trust God with confidence and what God has said with confidence, even though we don't have every detail. And that's exactly the position that Abraham was in early in his life. God calls him here in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 12 and gives him a direct command, leave your country. Uh, that's not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy thing to hear because most of us are homebodies. We like things to stay the way they are and we don't like a whole lot of change. I told y'all a couple times now, uh, and it's Jermaine here. My mother's lived in the same house for 50 years and she ain't going nowhere. And uh, that's just the way that we are. Can you imagine the Lord calling her on the telephone and saying, leave that house? She would argue with God, I guarantee it. Well, Abraham had lived his whole life, best we can tell, in the same place, Ur of the Chaldees. And God comes to him out of nowhere, this true and living God, speaking with a discernible voice, a God Abraham to this point did not know. And he says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. He had to get Abraham out of there to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish through Abraham because Abraham lived in a pagan culture, a culture that was rooted in the astrological cult of the Middle East. And Abraham had prospered in that land. He'd grown wealthy. He'd grown prosperous. He was well-known. He was well-networked. He was well-connected. And God was telling him to get out, leave your hometown, your family, and your people, pretty much lock, stock, and barrel. And I want you to go to a place that to this stage is left undefined. I'm not, I want you to leave, and I want you to go. I'm going to tell you where I want you to leave from, and I'm not going to tell you where I want you to go to. And that's just a hard thing to do. And yet, with virtually no details at all, Abraham responds with faith. And what did God do when it's all said and done? God made his name what? Made his name great. More baby boys throughout the history of recorded time have been named Abraham than any other single name around the world. So let's look tonight as we continue the Odyssey in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse number 4. Just going to look at uh, about four verses tonight. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I think verse 4 is very significant, particularly to get us started tonight, where the Bible says, so Abram, and Abram is the contractual form of his name, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. So the first thing we notice about Abraham is that he is obedient to the voice of the Lord. He goes out. He leaves the place where he was. He went as the Lord had told him. Now, let me just say, believe it or not, that's the easy part. The easiest part of your walk of faith oftentimes is just getting off dead center and getting going. Sometimes the easiest part of a life of faith is to get up off your good intentions and trust Jesus Christ to save you. That's not always easy. But I'm just saying I've known enough people who have gotten saved and it really wasn't all that difficult to get saved. All they had to do was respond to the preaching of the gospel. But within a few days, a few weeks, or a few months, the devil got all over them and turned situations and circumstances up red hot in their life. Now, why did he do that? Well, because the devil got jilted, didn't he? Before, they were living for the devil. They were enjoying life in a demonic lifestyle. They loved leaping into sin. And they lived in order to please the devil. Though that may not have been their intentions, that was exactly the result. And then they surrender to Jesus Christ and are gloriously saved. And then the faith walk becomes a little bit harder. So oftentimes, you can become like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And the longer you walk, you get bogged down in the dark forest. And you start facing witches and gargoyles and lions and tigers and bears. Can I have an amen tonight? Say, we've all experienced that. So let's talk for a few minutes tonight about some threats to faith. Three great dangers to a life of faith. We see them in Abraham's life, and I can pretty much promise that you will, at some point or another, face them in yours. First of all, there is the danger of compromise. Compromise. I'm going to call that the cop-out. And the cop-out comes when God speaks and God shows you a direction, tells you where He wants you to go, tells you what He wants you to do, impresses your heart. He may not speak in an audible voice. Maybe He will. Most of the time, He'll speak spiritually to you in that still, small voice, and you'll have an inclination, that gentle spiritual nudge that we all know and have experienced. But you'll know it's God, and you'll know because God's probably telling you to do something that you know you need to do, but you really don't want to do. And the great danger sometimes is compromising. For whatever reason, you decide that you'll obey, but you're only going to obey a part of what God wants you to do. Anybody know where I'm going tonight? You just, you'll embrace, you'll, you, you like your cafeteria plan. 
You like options. You like going through the Piccadilly cafeteria and saying, yes, I want this, and yes, I want that, and no, I want this. And the thing you find in the life of faith, unlike the Piccadilly cafeteria, is that oftentimes the dessert doesn't come first in the line with God. It does in the cafeteria because they know you're hungry. And you go and you just pick and choose what you want. I don't, Judy doesn't let me go to cafeterias anymore, by the way, because, you know, by the time I get through there, the bill is like $68. I mean, I've just bought everything a la carte in there, and they don't put the prices. And so, I don't know, it just looks good. Well, that's $12 for that chicken breast right there. And so, we do that a lot of times with God. We'll begin to compromise, pick and choose the part of God's Word that we're going to apply to our life. I know a lot of people do that with the Scriptures. They carry in their pocket a pair of theological scissors. And when they get to a part of Scripture that they like, they shout amen. And when they get to a part they don't like, they take those scissors and they cut them right out. It's like a lot of people in Ephesians 5. They will read the Scripture. And if they're a parent, they'll read Ephesians, well, it's actually Ephesians 6, 9. They'll read the verse that says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. They'll say, yes, amen. And then they'll read a few verses earlier and it'll say wives submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord and they'll take those scissors and they'll just cut that right out of the Bible well that no longer applies I don't want to hear that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church be willing to lay down your life well, I don't like that so they take their theological scissors and they begin to cut it right out bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, saith the Lord. Well, I don't like that. That takes me out of control when it comes to my money and my finances. So we cut that right out of the Bible as if it doesn't apply. This is the danger of compromise when it comes to your faith walk. It's a cop-out. Embracing what you want and conveniently rejecting the rest. Now, for Abraham... The cop-out came when he and his family started out from Ur and they began to follow God. But then they abruptly stop. And when it's all said and done, they'd only gone halfway. They got 150 miles. Now, we can get 150 miles in no time today, but they weren't driving Chevy Suburbans back then. They were hoofing it in a large caravan with large numbers of people. So going 150 miles would take them quite a while, and it's through a desert for the most part. And if you go back a few verses to the last part of Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. So far, so good. But, and this is one of the great buts of the Bible. I know that doesn't sound politically correct. But when they came to Haran, they what? Say it out loud. They settled. Did God tell them to do that? No. The problem was God didn't tell them to stop at Haran. God was taking them to Canaan. They didn't know where God was taking them, but God knew where he was taking them. And he wanted them to go until he told them to stop, which was ultimately going to be the land of Canaan. The Bible doesn't spell out completely here why that whole clan was contented to stop in Haran, 
But it's interesting, Haran, you know what the word Haran means? It probably says it in some of the margins of your study Bibles. It means parched, parched, which probably is what they were. That's probably why they stopped. They got tired. They were hot. In fact, many of them, including Abram's father, Terah, Terah would end up dying in that parched land because, not because it was God's will, but because they compromised and only went halfway. So why did they stop there? I don't know. You know, Abram, it's interesting to know that his father is along on the road with them, Terah. So Terah was older, and so technically he's still the patriarch. And so maybe he's still calling the shots. And so he's pulling rank, perhaps, and saying, nope, I'm tired, I'm old, my feet hurt, I've got bunions, Arthur is bothering me. And Abram looks at his daddy and said, who's Arthur? He said, you know my friend Arthuritis, that's what it is. And I'm tired of walking in this desert. And so they make a decision to stop. Maybe that was the case. I just think they got tired. I just think that they could not. Sometimes you get exasperated when you can't see definitively over the horizon anymore. All you can see are jagged rocks where nothing grows on them, dusty plain in front of you, 100 plus degree heat in the daytime, freezing cold at night in the desert when the sun goes down, scorpions everywhere. And because of that, you get weary. And what's wrong with 150 miles? That's pretty good for a bunch of old folks in a big crowd. And so they stopped halfway. They lost their motivation. I remember the first time my church had given me a sabbatic leave was when I was pastoring in Missouri. I've had one sabbatic leave here. I get one every seven years. You know when my next one is? Next year. Can I have an amen? I can't believe it's been seven years. It's been 2012 since I've taken one. The first one I took, I was in Missouri, and uh, we were gone for several weeks. And we had started building a home. It wasn't long before we moved to come here. But I'd lived in a parsonage for seven years, and we were selling that property, and so we were, ha- were getting our own home, which was great. But we started the building project. The guy that was building was in my church, so I trusted the guy, and, and everything was great. It all worked out great, but we, we, had, we had to go away for a while, and some of that work continued. So you can imagine when we came driving back in after being away for about a month, um, first thing we wanted to do was go over where they were building our new home and check on the progress, and they had got it framed in, and and there was gravel in the driveway and everything. And so we pulled up on that gravel. And boy, the kids jumped out of the car and they started running through there. But on the way to the house, Seth, who was just a little tyke at the time, lost his footing in that loose gravel and went down in the midst of it uh, on his bare knees. And it just cut him to pieces like he'd fallen on glass. Both kneecaps were cut and bruised and bleeding and all of that business. He was crying, oh, the pain, the pain. And it went on through the night that way. We got him home finally. We had to leave abruptly and we took him back to our home and we sprayed the back teen on the knees and then we bandaged him up and he was, oh, the pain, the pain, it hurts, it hurts, dad. And then we finally said, okay, you're all bandaged up. And then he got out and he began to walk like this. You know, did the Frankenstein number, and his mama was all concerned about him, bringing him a big bowl of ice cream and everything. And 
And he was just milking that, and I thought, man, it doesn't hurt, but I couldn't say anything. And so, again, we are just getting off the road of being away for a little bit over a month. So Whitney was getting ready for bed. Seth is sitting in there with me, and I'm trying to comfort him and encourage him. And Whitney was ready for bed, and she got into bed, and all of a sudden we heard this squeech and this squeal, and she came running in there. And one of our beloved church members who had been taking care of the house while we were gone had left this big jumbo package of gummy bears underneath the throw pillow on Whitney's bed. So that when she removed the throw pillow to get into bed, she'd find a little gift. So Whitney came in there and said, look what I found underneath the pillow in my bed, this pack. And I mean, when she showed that gummy bear, my boy jumped down off of my lap and went running back there (laughs) into his room. Bandages popping off those knees everywhere. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. See, everything changes when there's gummy bears over the horizon and you know it. When there are no gummy bears over the horizon, no promise of gummy bears over the horizon, and you're hot, and your throat is parched, and you're weary, and you don't know how far you have left to go, it's real easy to stop. And that's exactly what they did. And it's a challenge for us in the life of faith that God calls us to live. Now, they stayed there for a while. We don't know how long, but they stay there until Abraham's father dies, and he is buried in that godless parched land. And God comes again to Abraham, and he calls him to full obedience. You know why? Because partial obedience is never pleasing to God. May I make a statement tonight? Halfway obedience is fully disobedient to God. There's no such thing as partial obedience in the Bible. That's displeasing to God. You ever thought that 9 out of 10 doesn't cut it with God? Never does. No, God wants full obedience. And when God comes calling the second time, this is a beautiful picture of God's grace. He gives Abram a second chance. And that, that may well have been because Terah yeah, was being heavy-handed. And so God comes and graciously gives Abraham a second chance. And when God comes calling a second time, Abraham really does abandon it all for the sake of the call. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham what? Say it out loud. Abraham what? Obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So beware the great cop-out called compromise, the danger of only going halfway with God. But there's a second thread in the life of faith, and that is the danger not only of compromise, but of impatience. The danger of impatience. I'm relatively sure that this actually touches no one in this room tonight, as fully mature as all of these people are in this room this evening. But some of us do still wrestle with the demon of impatience. We call that the checkout when we just check out because we get worn out or because uh, we get frustrated that we don't have more information at any given time along the way. This is a reaction of so many of God's people when, for whatever reason, uh, they just reach their limit in their walk with the Lord. Have you ever gotten to that point where you just didn't know how much you could take, how much more you could take? God seemed to be silent. 
and you were in one of these divine holding patterns like we talked about when we were looking at the life of Noah. Noah was aboard the ark for a year, didn't hear a word from God. Y'all ever had a situation like that? Where is God in all of this? God isn't moving fast enough. Things aren't going my way. I don't like conditions I'm in. I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Check out. You stay around ministry long enough like I have, you see this kind of reaction all the time. Because we want things in nice, neat, tidy packages with gold wrapping paper and bright red bows. And when God doesn't treat us that way, when God doesn't deal with us, when he doesn't provide us with that kind of an environment, when you actually have to live by faith and wait on God, sometimes people just get impatient and they check out a hotel reality, as a friend of mine used to say. And it's worse now than it's ever been, in large part because the culture doesn't help us develop patience. Patience is one of the great fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a life of patience, love, joy, peace, patience. And so we need to ask God to help us cultivate that. But the culture and the reason that you have to depend on spiritual wisdom and insight and guidance and assistance is because the culture doesn't help us anymore. I mean, there used to be a day where I could be out of the office, someone would call me, and I'd come back in later and there'd be three or four of those little pink slips in my mailbox in the church office. And I, my secretary would say, hey, here are your messages, right? And if it was late in the day, people call, leave a message. Most people wouldn't expect you to call them back necessarily that same day. They would be perfectly fine with you calling back tomorrow. Well, now anymore, no, I, I haven't got one of those pink slips. And by the way, let me just say, I hope I don't ever get a pink slip again in, in another way. But... I hadn't got one of those little message slips in a long time. And the reason is because of these things right here. We live in a day of what's called instant messaging, text messaging, email, uh, direct messages on social media platforms. Everybody comes to you quickly. And the thing about it is they're ticked off if you don't respond within a matter of seconds. Did you not get my message? Well, you just sent it 10 minutes ago. That's what I'm talking about. Did you not get it? Well, it's, you know, so the, the culture is now all of these devices and can, things that are designed to make life more convenient have actually created a greater tension and elevated blood pressure levels because they have multiplied the expected response time. And so we're just more impatient now, I think, than we've ever been before. And everybody's in a hurry. You know what the average, the average doctor visit today, you know how long it is when you go to the doctor? I mean, actually in the doctor's office, eight minutes, eight minutes. Mine's actually a little bit better than that. He comes in and sits down with me. And, but the average doctor visit, eight minutes, you know, in and out. Uh, another way... You know how long the average American is willing to wait on an elevator before they start to go nuts? Eight seconds. So average doctor visits eight minutes. The average American will wait eight seconds before they start to get fidgety, shuffle their feet. And you know the telltale sign is when you're standing there and the guy in front of you goes to the button and just starts. 
as if there is a correlation between the number of times you hit the button and the speed at which the door is actually open. It has nothing to do with it. We just get tired of waiting around. I read about a popular buffet restaurant in Tokyo, Japan that now actually charges people, and you know there's a gajillion people live in Tokyo, right? That's right. They now charge for your buffet food by the minute. You know, most of those places, they weigh it, right? Uh, or they charge you a la carte like Piccadilly. They charge you by the time it takes you to eat it. So you, when you check out, go through the line, you check out, they give you a ticket. It's got the time on it. When you go to pay your bill, they clock you out. And the amount you charge has nothing to do with the cost of the food. It has to do with how long it took you to, to eat it. And the reason is because they want people moving. So the, the, the quicker you eat, pick it up and just do it like that. You can get out of there for real cheap at lunchtime. So this is what we're talking about. We just live in a different world today. When it comes to the area of patience, we're going to find that Abraham was, he was less than perfect because he got impatient and it caused real trouble. It's still calling real trouble today. However, that was an isolated event. If you look at Abraham's life as a whole and not just the individual snapshots of his life, you're going to find that what made Abraham so remarkable was his patience in his walk with God. He was 75 years old when God called him. He left his home. He left his roots. He left his business. He left all of his connections. He was a very well-connected man, made a lot of money. In order to embark on what seems like a short journey, 300 miles, but again, circuitous route. It's all on foot. You've got a big caravan going with you. It took a long time. And God had promised him he'd be the father of a great nation, yet his wife was barren, and he knew she was barren. And from the time that promise was given, Abraham would have had to wait how long before that boy was born? Anybody remember? 25 years. From the time God gave him the promise to the time Isaac was born was 25 years. God promised him he lived his whole life as a pilgrim. The only plot of ground, as far as we know, that Abraham ever owned was a burial plot that he bought for his wife. That was it. God promised him a land, and he would go to the land, but he would never personally possess the land, only that burial plot. And what all that boils down to is that Abraham spent a lot of time walking and waiting, waiting and walking, and that's always required to some degree in a life of faith. And yet, because we're so impatient oftentimes, we miss what could be very rich moments in terms of our relationship with God because we get impatient. And the great tendency is to lose composure and to walk away when time, uh, times get uh, tough or when things don't happen as fast as you think that they ought to happen. You know, oftentimes we'll get started in ministry. We think God's calling us into this great ministry and we get started in it. And, you know, a month will pass and not much will happen. A couple months will pass and not much will happen. We're just ready to throw in the towel. And I understand that. Everybody wants to see great results, see great things happen. But God, here's the thing. Are y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. God calls us, oh, this is, this is rich. God calls us to a life of faithfulness no matter what the results are. It doesn't matter what the results are. I'm telling you, Jeremiah, you read the book of Jeremiah? How long did Jeremiah preach the gospel? Forty years. 
How many converts recorded in the book of Jeremiah? How many? Zero. International Mission Board would have fired his tail. Would have. 40 years? He wouldn't have lasted four years. Everybody with me? William Carey, first of the modern missionaries, left London, went to India, ministered for seven years before he led the first Indian to Christ. Seven years to win one convert to Jesus Christ. And he didn't win many more than that. He was there 35 years. And yet, very faithful. Only a handful responded. I mean, hey, we just got finished talking about Noah. Noah preached. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? 100 years. And then they got like another 20 added on. So you got 120 years going on there. Noah's preaching righteousness, the book of 2 Peter tells us, the whole time. How many people got aboard there with Noah to be saved from the judgment that was to come outside of his family? How many? None. And yet he faithfully kept preaching, never gave up, never lost heart, did exactly what God called him to do. They didn't check out in the process. They never bailed out on God. One of the great statements in the New Testament is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in what? Well-doing. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will what? We will reap a harvest if we do not give up, if we do not lose heart. So in your faith walk, what you have to learn to mature, to become a person of great faith is to keep your focus on the Lord, not on the obstacles. If you focus on the obstacles, you'll get weary and you will lose heart. So quit looking at the obstacles. Just keep focusing on the Lord. Those difficult times, they're like a mattress. If you get underneath the mattress, you will suffocate to death. Isn't that right? But you get on top of the mattress and you rest easy. So you stay on top of those circumstances by keeping your focus on the Lord and that's how you keep from checking out when you lose patience in difficult times in the walk of faith so there is the danger of compromise there is the danger of impatience and then a final threat uh, to this life of faith that we need to note is the danger of indifference casualness carelessness apathy the danger of indifference we call that the phase out the phase out. There's the cop out, the check out. This is the phase out. Judy says that a lot to me. We'll be driving down the road and she'll just be talk, 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 and then there'll be a pause. And during that pause, I'm supposed to be giving a response. But the problem is I haven't heard a thing she said because I have what? I phased out. And so I have learned it. She'll raise her voice and she'll say, you're phasing, you're phasing. And then I'll turn in and give her that big uh, Middle Tennessee smile. And I said, I'm sorry, honey. Would you run that by me one more time? I'm really listening this time. And we'll have a nice conversation. But I have a tendency in my own life to phase out. And really, here's the thing. When you compromise and when you lose patience, it's typically because of this right here. From a spiritual perspective, when you lose heart, when the going gets tough in this walk of faith, when God seems silent, when you lose heart, it's typically because you have begun the slow drift away from God. It's not that you don't really love God. You do. 
But because you've drifted away from God, you've just forgotten about God. And now these giants in your life, God's not the giant in your life anymore, the jolly giant. Instead, there are all these angry giants in your life. And they're all you can see. Because in your spiritual phase out, you've been overwhelmed by the obstacles, overwhelmed by the circumstances, and you've spiritually phased out. That's always a result of becoming careless with your spiritual life. Man, you don't want to do that. And they're, they're, what are the telltale symptoms? Don't spend time every day in the Word. Did you all read your Bible today? See, there are times when you don't read your Bible. And you know what? You'll miss a day here or there. Things get crazy from time to time. Some people do. God's not going to send you to hell. But then one day can become two, and two can become four, and four can become eight. Next thing you know, you've gone several weeks. And all you pick it up and bring it to church with you and set it on the dash when you go out to the restaurant. But you really haven't used it during the week. It just stays in the car. Because it's convenient. That way I won't forget it when I go to church on Sunday morning. Right? But it's not a tool. It's a, it's a dash ornament for some people. Right? So you don't want to do that. Or your prayer time. Your communion with the Lord. Well, I just got busy in the morning and, you know, I think I'll get in the car and I'll just pray as I drive to work. The only problem is you're dodging Highway 29 traffic. Trying to carry on a conversation with the Lord. I'm not saying you can't pray when you drive to work. I think you should redeem the time. I pray when I'm in the car regularly. But that can be hit and miss. Sometimes hit and run if you're not careful, right? You see what I'm saying? With your spiritual life, you can become really indifferent. You can become casual when it comes to church, fellowshipping with God's people. You all have heard me say it before. The average church member, the average um, the average regular church member in America today only goes to church two Sundays out of four. Two Sundays out of four. I've often told people that people will say, well, what will Hillcrest look like if, if all of our active people showed up at the same time? Easter. That's what it would look like. And that's what Easter has become. Easter is family reunion in the church for the most part anymore. So you want to know what Hillcrest would look like if everybody showed up? Just come Easter Sunday. Three services, all of them packed. That's what it would look like. But that's not what it looks like, not what it looked like last Sunday. We had 2502. That's a good number for our church at both campuses. But boy, it didn't look like Easter, did it? And that's why, that's because some people in their mind, they fill their quota. For some of them, it's once or twice a year, Right? So this is a sign of indifference, casualness. We're phasing out in our spiritual life. Other things are creeping in, travel ball, all this stuff that used to be sacrosanct, you know. The Little League never did anything on Wednesday night when I was growing up. Wednesdays and Sundays were, they were, you just X'd those off the calendar because people went to church on those days. That's not that way anymore. And it's beginning to be accepted that way in the lives of people who love Jesus. You know, so these kind of things, and we lose accountability when that happens, and that's why it's a dangerous thing. So, um, God made Abraham's name great in large part because he was very consistent with his spiritual life. 
Now, he finally arrives in Haran here in the early stages of Genesis 12. And God appears to him at Shechem, very historic town. And in verse 7, notice what it says. God speaks to Abraham once he gets there. This is God kind of telling him, now you can stop. And then he says to Abram, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there a what? Man, circle that phrase. He built there an altar to the Lord. Very, very significant. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. Pitched his tent. Means he made camp. With Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built, there we go. He what? Built a, an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, he worshiped. This was, a, this was the equivalent of building a house of worship. He built an altar that called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. It's a beautiful picture. Abraham heard God. Abraham worshiped God. Abraham walked with God. Man, that's what he wants you to do with him. Everybody with me? He wants you to commune with him so that you're talking to God and listening to God so that you can hear from God. He wants Jim to hear God so that Jim will worship God so that Jim will walk with God. And as you walk with God, the more you walk closely with God, the more you what? Hear from God. And the more you hear from God, you're reminded of His grace and His power and His sovereignty and His promises. And that leads you to worship God. And the closer and the more intimately you worship God, you, you, you more closely walk with God. And it just keeps going and going and going unless you break the chain and spiritually phase out. Is what is said of Abraham here, can that be said of your life? tonight. See, Abraham is building altars of worship now everywhere he goes. He got over the hump and got out of Haran. And when he got over that hump, there's just something that takes place in his walk with the Lord. Maybe his father was being an impediment to him. Maybe that's why God took him. I don't know. But something changes in the life of Abraham here. And you've got a man where everywhere they pitch their tent, they seem to be building an altar of worship to God. And mark it down, those who make a difference in the land are those who are the most closely connected to God. This Abraham, he passes through Canaan, he'll never be the same again. And he made a difference with his life. Unfortunately, that's not always true of everybody in the house of God. Some start out very strong, but somewhere along the line, they, you know what? And I've seen it. I've been around the block. I've seen so many dart out of the gate spiritually. But somewhere along the line, you know what happens? They stop building altars to God. And they start building altars to everything else. They start building altars to bass, to golf, to work. To people. They start building altars to everything. And they stop building altars to God. And their usefulness 
to God in the kingdom disintegrates. It blows away. And it vanishes like thistles off a dandelion in a strong wind. Where are the altar builders today? There aren't more of them than there are because many have phased out. And in the kingdom, that's where failure always starts. When you lose your connectedness to God. The Bible says without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. That being true, if without faith it is impossible to please God, don't you think a wise person would know the dangers inherent in the life of faith and do whatever it takes to stand against them? Compromise, impatience, indifference. Determined today, I will not cop out, I will not check out, I will not phase out for the glory of God. This is God's word and all God's people said, amen.